1: this is the unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN radio
2: okay welcome to the show we are unsportsmanlike on ESPN radio ESPN Two, the ESPN app SiriusXM channel 80 and all of our great ESPN stations across the country we are presented by Progressive Insurance hello Michelle Smallman Chris Canty Evan Cohen with you yes Joel Embiid On the anniversary of the late, great Kobe Bryant scoring 81 points against the Toronto Raptors in 2006. Last night against Victor Wembanyama, and the Spurs, dropped 70 points in a regular season (laughs) game. 70. 37 minutes, 24 of 41 from the field. 21 of 23 from the free throw line. One of two from behind the arc. And what we learned last night is Joel Embiid is unbelievable in the regular season. Something we've learned for a long period of time. Was that in the conference finals or did I miss that?
0: Wow, you're taking a oh, shot at this man already? This Aren't you gonna do the same? We're not even at the NBA trade deadline. I wasn't going to take a shot at JoJo.
2: I'm not taking a shot. I'm just saying what we learned last night was something we already knew. He is arguably the most dominant player in this sport, and I hold him to a different standard. I need to see him in the playoffs.
0: Well, it's the same conversation we had around Nikola Jokic before he actually broke through. So the question yep. is whether or not this Sixers team could actually get it done. But Smalls, I got to take a minute and just sit and yes. what he did. He scored 70 points in 36 minutes.
3: Unbelievable. 70
0: points in 36 minutes, a franchise record. Now, I know a lot of people are saying, well, didn't Wilt score 100 points for Philadelphia? Yeah, the Philadelphia Warriors, the history travels with the franchise. The Sixers are not the Warriors, blah, 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 blah. But I guess the point is how impressive it was, and it was from the opening tick. It was clear that it was a point to prove because Victor Webanyama was his primary competition in that game against the Spurs last night, and he wanted to show that he is the dominant big in all of basketball, and it was a performance for the ages.
3: Yeah, I'm going to bask in what he did before I put it into context, needing to see it in the uh, the postseason, before we give him the Dallas Cowboys treatment, if yeah. you will. You want
0: to bask before you bash.
3: Correct. Gotcha. Let's bask before we bash. I love that approach. And you mentioned he was Hot, right out the jump. 24 of the 70 points in the first quarter, okay? Those 24 points, the most by 76 player in the first quarter and the play-by-play era. He was unbelievable last night, Evan. Go ahead.
2: I'm just saying. (laughs) I watched this, and I will tell you that the thing that I liked the most about Embiid is he got nasty. And what I mean by that is there was one play specifically where I was watching where he's backing down Wembenyama. He drops his shoulder and he pummels him. And that is exactly, like, I love Embiid. Which don't, one? Right, but this, you I'm just
0: saying, which one? Right. Because that happened all game long. <laughs> I don't
2: want to get this twisted. Embiid is awesome. I think he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Fame player. He is phenomenal. I love watching him play. I'd want him on my team. But Joel Embiid is so good as a reigning MVP and so dominant and so much better on a team like this. And this is what happened a few years ago when Ben Simmons was not playing for them. And before they added James Harden, I always thought that was the best version of Embiid. He's really good when he's the primary and maybe only star. Maxi's developing into a star. But I would be careful if I'm the Sixers to try to create some sort of big three here. Big two, big three. I would make it a clear-cut tiered system here with Embiid and Maxi, and then somebody else. I would not get somebody who wants to take more shots than Embiid. Right? They need complementary pieces. But I think this is when Embiid is at his best. But he is so good on so many levels, that we have to see him succeed in the playoffs this year. He's got to get it done this year.
0: Well, I think the Sixers need to succeed in the postseason. Otherwise, I think Embiid forces his way out of town. I mean, think about it. He was the MVP last year. He's now the MVP favorite. He went into last night as co-favorites with Nikola Jokic at plus 200. Now he's the favorite by himself at plus 115. So if Embiid puts together another MVP type of season then all of a sudden the Sixers are on the clock. If they don't break through the second-round ceiling that has been plaguing them for the last half decade, then I could see a world where Joel Embiid decides, you know what, I want to get out of Philadelphia. We already got word that he put his apartment on the market. He's he's selling that. Now, I'm not saying that that means he's leaving, but I do think there is a hedge by Embiid. If things don't work out this year, that he could he could find himself looking to go somewhere else where he can maximize his time in his prime, and compete for a title. I I absolutely can envision a world where Embiid forces his way out. For as much as he's been loyal to the soil, as much as he loves that team, loves that city, because he's so good, I could see a world where he's like, you know what, I've done all I can do here, I'm going to leave. Now, credit to the Sixers, they did what they were supposed to do this offseason, they made a difficult change, they switched coaches, they went with Nick Nurse, somebody that has a championship pedigree, But I think based on the performances that Embiid has shown us time and time again this year, he is applying pressure on this Sixers franchise in order for this team to break through. If they don't, I could see Embiid wanting to get out.
3: And why wouldn't he? Everyone else is doing it. All of his peers have done it. It is so commonplace in the NBA now to force your way out if you don't think you have the best chance to win because everyone's trying to get a ring. I mean, after Damian Lillard does it, I think it's a pretty much clear pathway yeah. for anybody yeah. <laughs> else to do it and not catch heat.
2: Well, I think that Philadelphia historically is sur- surrounded Embiid with more talent than Portland surrounded Lillard, but none of that talent has worked out. That's the problem here, that if you look at what they got. Now, here's the other part of this with Philadelphia. I don't believe they are going to take on long-term money here because I believe they want the flexibility. I think that's a dangerous place. I think if there is the guy that becomes available that has more than one or two years and you think that guy is a fit with Embiid, I don't care if you dip into your cap space in years to come. You are on the clock with him this year. That all said, I really do believe you got to find the right guys with him. I don't think, now there's not a, let's just use Donovan Mitchell for an example. And he is not available, but his name has been mentioned. I love Donovan Mitchell. I don't think he makes sense with Embiid. I don't think that, like, I think a guy that understands. I don't think
0: he makes sense with Maxie either.
2: Right. I think that if you look at what the Sixers should be, I think it's that second level of, uh, DeMar DeRozan makes a lot more sense for them on an expiring contract, can add to their team, mid-range jumpers, could play in between in terms of the three-level play of Maxi and Embiid. Like, I think he would make more sense. You cannot touch Dak Levine, too much money, too much long-term, et cetera. They got to find the right pieces, and that's where Philadelphia, I think, is in that gray area right now because there's also an argument, CeCe, maybe they're just that good right now to not do anything.
0: Well, I think that's the that's the direction that they're trending in. Everybody said that there was a big two coming into this season in the Eastern Conference, and I vehemently disagreed. Like, I, I think it's a big three, and Philadelphia is included with that in Milwaukee and Boston. Philadelphia is just that good because of how Tyrese Maxey has come into his own now that he doesn't have to deal with the cloud that has been James Harden. So I, I think... That there is room for this team to grow and improve with just those two. And having maximum cap flexibility going into next offseason is going to be at a premium. I ultimately think they end up trading for another guy that's in the heart of his prime to pair with Embiid and Maxi. But I think this is an opportunity for the Sixers to be patient as long as they look like they're trending in the direction where they can have success and get to a conference finals. Again, I don't think they have to win it this year No, I to, agree keep, with you. to keep MB. I, agree I just you. think they have to get to the Eastern Conference finals or better. If they do, then that's enough tangible evidence for M B to say, hey – I can win a championship with this team. But there's no world in which you can get back-to-back MVPs and your team routinely, continuously get bounced in the second round of the playoffs. Something about that has to change. And that's what I took away from Embiid's performance last night. It was it was unbelievable what he was able to do, being able to get to the free throw line, 21-23 from the strike, but then also the mid-range game, being able to knock down that free throw line jumper, extend the defense, and then the evolution of Embiid, what we're seeing on the offensive side of the ball – is his passing. Like, when he sees the double teams in the high post, being able to hit that pocket pass to Kelly Oubre like he did in the third quarter for a dunk. Like, those are the types of plays that MVPs make. Like, it's, it's what we talked about with Nikola Jokic early on when he v- won his first MVP and how he continued to get better. We're seeing that from Joel Embiid now, which is why I think there's so much pressure on the Sixers organization to break through this year.
2: Yeah, I agree with what you said, though. It's it, like Boston has to win a title this year. Milwaukee has to get to the finals this year. I actually think Philadelphia just has to get to the Eastern Conference finals. It's not dissimilar to the Cowboys and Bills. It's like they didn't necessarily have to win it all. They had to get to a place of like, oh, that is tangible progress. You made it further than you did or farther, whatever it is, than the year before, right? Philadelphia cannot sit there and lose in the second round. And I understand I'm biased as a Heat fan, but you can acknowledge this. They don't want any part of Miami in the first round. That's too much work in the first round. They want a, like an easier first-round opponent. That's who they would have in the first round. But this team, as constituted today, has expiring contracts in the double-digit millions for Batum, who they're not going to necessarily get rid of. Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris, Robert Covington. Um, they have lots of uh, – Morris, Marcus Morris, who's at $17 million. They have countless dollars that they can go out there and use to upgrade their team. But how they choose to use it is going to be very interesting. Are they doing it for now? Are they doing it for later? Or like in the case of a guy like DeMar DeRozan to the Bulls, he's a now and later player. He's an expiring contract that can help you now that maybe you bring back later. But if you don't like it, then he's up at the end of the season. This is going to be a fascinating thing to keep an eye on because they are one of these teams in sports that has a lot of pressure, but the pressure is to get one round further than they've ever gotten before, which doesn't necessarily mean finals or championships. But if they lose in the conference finals to Boston or Milwaukee or whoever, we are going to look at the future of Joel Embiid in that organization maybe a little differently. So what you're you're saying is the Sixers are like
0: the Cowboys. We just need you to get to to a conference conference finals, conference championship game. That's all we we need. Just breakthrough. Just breakthrough. Just breakthrough. Just breakthrough, Just breakthrough. I mean, they haven't
2: been there. Think about it. They have not been there with Joel Embiid. They have not been to the conference finals. They're
3: sick of trusting the process in Philly.
2: Yeah, well, (laughs) and he leans into it. All right, there's a lot to get to, obviously, with the reference we just made. Josh Allen uh, spoke to the media yesterday. You were going to hear what he said. Because it is similar to this Sixers conversation, right? Teams and sports that you look at and say, can you get one step further, please? We are on Sportsmanlike, presented by Progressive Insurance. Your small business keeps you on the go. Progressive Commercial insur- Insurance keeps your policy within reach. The easy-to-use mobile app. Learn more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. We're on Sportsmanlike on ESPN Radio.
4: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had, Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash unsportsmanlike today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P unsportsmanlike.
5: Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out electric e-bikes today, the number one selling e-bike in America. so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L E C T R I C dot This is the Unsportsmanlike
1: Podcast on ESPN Radio.
2: Josh Allen and the Bills were in. Now they out. In a big way. We are on Sportsmanlike, presented by Progressive Insurance. Alone, Michelle Smallman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen with you. So Josh Allen and the Bills lose yet again to the Kansas City Chiefs over the weekend. They had their wrapping up uh, kind of exit press conferences yesterday. And Josh Allen spoke to the media about the season coming to an end.
6: Yeah, I mean, it's it's surreal. Um, on the bright side, we woke up this morning, right? We're, we're all here. Um, you know, losing losing's never fun. It's... It's a part of the game. It's the worst, well, second worst part of the game. Obviously, injuries are the worst part of the game, but um, it's the reason why you play this game is because you don't want to feel this way. But when you do feel this way, it makes um, winning all that much more special. And you know, this isn't something that we're going to run from. It's not something we're going to hide from. You know, we got to we got to take it on the chin and continue to learn and, and get better. And I know that doesn't. It's not what people want to hear. Uh, they want to see results. We want to see results. We're just like, just like you guys. We we want to win, you know. And that's, that's the fact. And uh, at the end of the season, there's one happy team. And we're gonna keep fighting and keep working as hard as we can until until we are that one team. Yes,
2: uh, Josh. Uh, living is better than dying. I can confirm that. Uh, we should all be appreciative that we have another day on Earth. I don't. I'm not joking about that. I'm being serious. So when you go that route, sure, you're right about that. Okay, interesting. Um, I, I've realized something, Smalls and CeCe. I think Josh Allen is now the most polarizing player in the NFL.
3: Oh, come on.
2: I do. Who's more polarizing than him?
3: Aaron Rodgers?
2: That's I, a
0: great point.
2: That's a great counter. I don't think so. <laughs> that is a fantastic so. counter. <laughs> and from a football perspective or like in real life, sure, in football, I don't think so. Really?
3: Because there's a huge faction of people that still think he's going to come back healthy and that the Jets are going to be okay.
2: Okay, fine. But I think like everyone can agree, first ballot Hall of Famer. Everyone looks at the resume, four MVPs and a Super Bowl. There's no debate about what he is. He is a Hall of Famer that can be a pain in the tuchus, right? I think we all know that. Sure.
0: He's an all of Famer that you can argue underachieved based on the ability that he's shown.
2: Okay, no, I'm not debating that. But there are a lot of people that will. So Josh Allen on our networks, on ESPN, we have such extremes on him, right? We have people like us who are saying he hasn't accomplished anything in terms of the top line of the resume. We have Ryan Clark I saw all over ESPN yesterday saying the same thing. We have other people, Dan Orlovsky and others, saying, you don't, Greeny Hembo, this guy's phenomenal. You're looking at it all wrong. I think he's the most polarizing player in the sport.
3: But can't both things be true? Can't both things exist at the same time? Can't he be phenomenal and be a crazy, talented football player who hasn't achieved what he's supposed to achieve yet? I mean, both, I think we're trying to pick one side of the fence with Josh Allen, when in reality, I think both things are existing at the same time. I think he is a guy who absolutely could win you a Super Bowl. I think he's a guy who could definitely win an MVP. He just hasn't done either of those things yet. And in and, and looking at the Bills, I'm wondering if the window is closed or if it's just slightly ajar based on the construction of the team. They've been really lucky that they've been able to keep a lot of their core intact as they've been going through these playoff runs. But they have an aging team. They have a lot of pending free agents, some contract things that they need to figure out. We don't know what's going to happen with Stephon Diggs. Mm -mm. The coaching staff has had some ups and downs. I'm wondering what version of the Buffalo Bills is going to be there next year and if it's going to be as formidable as teams that Josh Allen has had in the past.
2: But you just, you just nailed the point as to why I think it's polarizing. You said, I think he went a Super Bowl one day. Why would we think that? Based on what? Based on going to the AFC Championship game one time?
3: Based on his team being in a hole this year because he turns the ball over constantly? So he constantly puts his team in a position to win. He's gotten them to the playoffs. And I truly believe if Patrick Mahomes wasn't standing in his way, we would have seen him get there already. So he's
0: Charles Barkley. He's Patrick Ewing. I mean, those are the references that Ryan Clark made yesterday. But, I mean, I don't even know if those are accurate because those guys were considered MVP caliber players. Barkley won one, went to the finals.
2: Ewing went to the finals. Yeah. Like, if for you to, for somebody to say, let's use those. Oh, I think Ewing can win a championship in the mid '90s. Well, yeah, because he went to the finals he went and to he the lost. Finals. Exactly. Why would I? Why is Josh Allen the? We never said about Lamar. Oh, he can win you a championship one day. He actually won MVPs and he's in the conference championship. Why do we just – this is why I think he's polarizing. We're sitting there. He's the guy that can win
0: you a Super Bowl one
2: day. Based on what?
0: It's a great point. I mean, I guess we're looking at the physical talent and everybody (laughs) wants to assign that level of success, but I'm with you. I agree with you. Maybe the the right player comp for Josh Allen in the NBA is Vince Carter. Maybe it's somebody like that. Maybe it's Vince Carter, like all NBA kind of talent, physical attributes out of this world. And if he was in the – wait – no, Vince was in the finals. Vince was in the final. That's right, he was in the final
2: Twice, if I'm not mistaken, with the Nets, right? Yeah, yeah, he Lakers was. Lakers and Spurs, they lost. Two yeah. of the least memorable finals
0: in the yeah, history that, of the Yeah, that's sports. the only <laughs> one. No, I mean, I, but not- I guess that. But I guess that would be the point, though. Like, it's just like Josh Allen, his talent doesn't translate to team success. And that's the one thing that we keep waiting on, and until he actually does it, then we're always going to have that question. But here's the part where I think Smalls has got it right. This is going to be tougher for the Bills to keep a roster around Josh Allen that's capable of competing at a championship level. They have the second oldest roster based on their 2024 cap hits, and they have the second least amount of cap space. Matter of fact, they're $40 million over the cap going into next offseason. So it's not a situation where they're going to be able to easily make some moves and retool this thing. I think they're going to take a step back and they have to reset. Now, fortunately enough for them, they live in a division where the New York Jets are going to jet. They have the the, the New England Patriots, which are getting started with Gerard Mayo, and the Miami Dolphins, a team that nobody believes in when it matters. So
2: Probably I'm wrong about Vince. He was not on the, the Nets team, so I apologize. That yeah, was-
0: so I mean, th- there's an opportunity for Josh Allen to get his team back to the postseason, But I don't think they're going to be on par with teams like the Cincinnati Bengals, the Baltimore Ravens, or the Kansas City Chiefs. And that's the standard by which we're going to judge Josh moving forward.
3: For sure. And if the core around him we don't think is as dynamic – as it once was, that's an, you're right, that's another factor. Burrow's coming back. The Bengals are likely going to be right there. I fully expect Kansas City to get some wide receiver help in the offseason, and I am not going to doubt Patrick Mahomes anymore moving forward. He's just <laughs> that special. C.J. Shroud and the Houston Texans have proven that they're going to be right there. Yep. The Ravens are going to be there, likely, again. There, It's going to be a harder path for him to get there, and he might be having a team around him that's not as good. I just wonder if the window is close, or if it's just slightly ajar for him. And that's a scary thing to think about. No question about it.
0: And everybody wants to talk about the injuries on the defensive side of the ball. Well, that side of the ball is getting older. Matt Milano, I mean, he's older. Von Miller is older. Mm -hmm. Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, older. Tredavious White, if he comes back, older. Like, uh, at some point, you have to look at it and say, I don't know if these guys are ever going to come back to form like we've seen them in the past. And so, again, I, I do think... That this team is going to have to find a new identity. And Josh Allen is gonna to have to be at the heart of that because you got a quarterback whose cap hit jumps from $18 million this year to $47 million next year. That's the reality of paying your quarterback in the NFL. If he can't make everybody around him consistently better and avoid the mistakes, the turnover worthy plays, then your team is gonna be some trouble, in some trouble. And a thing that concerns me about Josh Allen is what Joe Brady had to do in order for the team to have success down the stretch. And I get it. They, they were able to run the football effectively, and that's what you want to see. But to have to manage your quarterback's pass attempts when you're paying them that kind of money on the salary cap, I mean, again, a $47 million cap hit in 2024. When you have to manage your quarterback in the way that Buffalo has to, in the way that their offensive coordinator has to, that gives me cause for pause in terms of them being able to retool and continue to compete At a championship level.
2: And they they can restructure that to lower it, but that also literally costs money. Right, that means you're physically – that's not like salary cap money. That's real money. That's real money. You pay down, in essence, as part of a bonus or whatever it is, correct? Like Yes, but the
0: cap hit in future years
2: goes up. Right, and that means the ownership, the Pagoulas, has to say, like, we believe in Josh Allen so much, we're going to give him so much money, and we're going to mortgage some of the future because we think he can do it now. See, the reason I think he's polarizing is where we got on all of this in terms of the overall, like, you saying, I think he can win a Super Bowl. I don't know what evidence we have for that. I think he can win MVP. That, I I think he's given us enough in the regular season where we could say that. But I think he's more polarizing than Dak. I think he's more polarizing than Aaron Rodgers. I think he's the most polarizing player in the sport because I have never seen someone, an individual, in a team sport, do what he's done and have so many people defending him. I've never seen anything like this. I don't know that there's another example of anyone saying this guy is like the best I've ever seen without actually (laughs) winning an MVP or a championship. Ryan Clark said yesterday, the, uh, the comparison was, it feels like LeBron before he won a title. LeBron went to the finals and won an MVP. And was the best player in the league. It's remarkable what's happened here. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Is Josh Allen now the most polarizing player in the league? Small says, no, 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 you still got to go right back to Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers still is the guy that we look at because of all the stuff around him. We'll get your phone calls in on that. Plus, CeCe has his power rankings coming up. It's on Sportsmanlike, presented by Progressive Insurance.
1: This is the unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. All
2: right, CC, power rankings. Top five impact players this weekend that don't play quarterback.
0: That don't play quarterback. Conference championship game weekend. Obviously, the focus is on the signal callers, but there are going to be some other players that are on the field that have significant sway on how these games go, and we got to kick it off with the top five power rankings for conference championship game weekend. Let's go. It's Chris Jones, and I know a lot of people think about Chris Jones from a pass rush standpoint. He's one of the best interior pressure players in the National Football League, but he's going to have to step up as a run stopper. The Kansas City Chiefs in the regular season had the worst run stop win rate, and it's gotten even worse in the playoffs, specifically the game against the Buffalo Bills. Their run stop win rate in the regular season was 27%, which is abysmal, but it got down to 24% against the Buffalo Bills, and we saw the formula that Sean McDermott and company Trotted out there, extra offensive lineman David Edwards, over 20 snaps in that game. They bullied the front seven for the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll see what ends up happening. Willie Gay got banged up in that game, so they might be shorthanded. They're going to have to find a way to stop the run, especially against the Baltimore Ravens, which is the number one run offense in the National Football League. We just saw Lamar Jackson in a playoff game rush for 100 yards in a couple of tuds. They're going to have to find a way to stop the run, first and foremost, before they can even think about putting pressure on the quarterback. Chris Jones, you're going to have to step up in a big, big way. Next! It's Amon Ross St. Brown. There's a reason why this guy was an all-pro in the regular season. He was just absolutely phenomenal. 1,515 yards receiving. I know everybody wants to talk about Tyreek Hill or C.D. Lamb. This dude ain't that far off. Again, like I said, he was an all-pro third, and he had 10 receiving touchdowns. But the most important thing is Amon Ross St. Brown's ability to be able to convert for first downs. Like, that's the biggest thing, being able to keep the chains moving, keep this offense on schedule. Detroit wants to hit you in the mouth. They want to play Smash Wild with David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. But Amon Ross St. Brown is that quintessential possession receiver. He can line up anywhere on the field. He can play the X. He can play the Z. He can play the slot and he's going to be a productive player, but he's also going to present a target for the quarterback so they can keep the chains moving. This guy makes big play after big play after big play to sustain drives, and I think that's going to be key going up against that San Francisco 49ers defense. Now, again, the Detroit Lions offense, the second most explosive offense by plays in the National Football League, only to San Francisco. They're going to need explosive plays too, and Amon Ra Brown, St. Brown provides that in spades as well. Next, Christian McCaffrey, I mean, this is a guy that went over 120 yards from scrimmage in their win against the Green Bay Packers. And they're going up against a defense that has given it up when it comes to the run game. Now, I know that the the focus for Detroit Lions is on the back end, not giving up explosive plays to Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle, all of those receivers for the 49ers, Debo Samuel, if he plays. But they better watch Christian McCaffrey in the run game. Because that last drive that the 49ers put together against the Packers, they featured Christian McCaffrey as well. And this is a guy that is the hammer for that offense. He brings the physical identity for them. And Detroit hasn't been great in terms of run, stop, win rate all year long. They're going to have to stop Christian McCaffrey and make this 49ers offense one-dimensional in order for them to have a chance at being able to slow down Kyle Shanahan in this group. So Christian McCaffrey... Is the guy that makes it all go. He sets the table for everything that San Francisco wants to do offensively, which is why he's gonna be front and center in this matchup against the Lions on Sunday. Next, it's gotta be Travis Kelsey. I mean, I, I wanted to leave him for dead. Uh, I mean, I thought this guy had fallen off. Was it Taylor Swift? Was it Age? I wasn't sure. But Travis Kelsey showed us why he's that dude. A couple of catch, touchdown catches. On Sunday, in that win against the Buffalo Bills, Travis Kelsey didn't realize this, is second all time when it comes to receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns, only to Jerry Rice in the postseason. That's how good Travis Kelsey is and there's a chance that Travis Kelsey could pass Jerry Rice for receptions on Sunday. I think he's seven off of Jerry Rice's mark. So this guy is absolutely phenomenal. They're going to need him against that Baltimore Ravens defense. A really stingy defense. For my money, the best in the National Football League, both in the regular season and the postseason. So Travis Kelsey is going to have to to step up once again for Pat Mahomes against a really stingy Baltimore Ravens defense, a Ravens defense that didn't allow a touchdown to CJ Stroud in the Houston, Texans. Just saying, didn't allow a touchdown to those guys in that game. Next Roquan Smith. And I know a lot of people are saying, what are you talking about? Roquan Smith, a linebacker. Yes. I think a linebacker, a middle linebacker, Roquan Smith will be the most impactful non quarterback on conference championship game weekend. Why? Because I've seen what Roquan Smith has done to the Baltimore Ravens defense since they traded for him last year at the trade deadline. Since that time, it has been the best defense in the NFL. Whether you want to judge it by uh, defensive efficiency, defensive EPA, yards per game, yards per play. The best defense in the National Football League. That's what Roquan Smith did in terms of transforming that unit for the Baltimore Ravens. I'll credit Mike McDonald for putting the scheme in place, but Roquan Smith is a do-everything linebacker, whether you want him to rush the pass or whether you want him to drop in coverage. This guy can do it all, and I think he's going to have to. Because, first of all, they've got to stop Isaiah Pacheco from the Kansas City Chiefs. But they've also got to have underneath coverage to match up against Travis, Kelsey, Noah Gray, and those other tight ends for the Chiefs. So I think Roquan Smith will be an integral part of everything that Baltimore does in in terms of trying to slow down the greatest quarterback of all time in Pat Mahomes. Second to Tom Brady, I guess. But the current (laughs) GOAT. The current GOAT. The current GOAT, uh, the greatest of all time, Pat Mahomes. So that's the list. Love it. Best non-quarterback conference championship game weekend. Number one, Roquan Smith. Number two, Travis Kelsey. Number three, Christian McCaffrey. Number four, Amon St. Brown. And number five, Chris Jones. Smalls, you are my accountability partner. Any objections, any omissions?
3: I love the list, as always, CC. I thought Travis Kelsey might be number one just because the other weapons around Patrick Mahomes have not been so reliable, and if he keeps feeding Travis Kelsey, usually they're going to have success. I did think that maybe we would get an Isaiah Likely or Mark Andrews mentioned, just because we don't know if Mark Andrews is going to return, and uh, obviously having those tight ends has been very beneficial for Lamar, and having Mark Andrews as another weapon out there could impact the Ravens, but love the list. There's a lot of guys to pay attention to including these five guys. All
2: right. Give me an elite tight end over an elite wide receiver any day of the week. Mm -hmm. That we could sit here and talk about the lack of wide receivers for the Chiefs. They have the best tight end in the sport, and I think that's more valuable in these moments. I really do, and I think that's one of the things that can help the Kansas City Chiefs If you have, and I know Kelsey's not the greatest blocker in the world, but if you could have a great blocker as an extra offensive lineman in essence who can also catch the ball, I'll take that over a great wide receiver. Yeah, I mean,
0: just get run over slow. (laughs) Well, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) however you want to do it. Get get run over slow. (laughs) However you want to do it.
2: Uh, James in Ohio listening on on 100.7 in Ohio wants to chime in on Josh Allen if he's become the most polarizing player in the league. What's up, James? What's up, guys? Uh, I think Josh Allen is the new age Dan Marino or Jim Kelly. I think he is the greatest underachiever uh, the NFL has ever seen, just like these two guys are the greatest to never win a title. Well, but to be fair, and thanks for the phone call, in terms of the individual leading team success, Dan Marino... And Jim Kelly have sig- have done a significantly better job than Josh Allen has. Jim Kelly went to four Super Bowls in a row, which is impossible to do. Forget the result for a second. He went to four Super Bowls in a row, and Marino won an MVP and won a Super Bowl. So, like, they he didn't already. Win a Super Bowl.
0: I'm sorry, went to a Super Bowl. Statistically, yeah. it's yeah. less likely to go to four Super Bowls in a row than to win one Why? Super to, Bowl. Right. So that is they've, wild. Four Bill's
2: fans.
3: Right? They've Poor done Bill's more. Right?
2: They've done Why more. Right. Jim uh, in Ohio watching on ESPNU. What's up, Jim? Hi, how you all doing this morning? Morning, Jim. Hey, so uh, yeah, I was just calling. I just, I think the Josh Allen thing, it just got to stop. It's the guy realistically is in his sixth year, and that's what we're forgetting, I believe. And and the losses in
3: the playoff games are defense.
2: I mean, if you look at the AFC Championship a couple of years ago, it was Kansas City. Or I mean, how many points they score 30, 38, and lose, and then even on Sunday. The Chiefs, I think, punted one time. And so he puts his, his team in position to win. It. And realistically, as far as the window shutting, I keep hearing that too. And it's like that window is not going to shut while he's playing. That's just my opinion. Um, well, that, and that, by the way, and thanks to the phone call, that part is fair. That if you are someone that thinks he's that great, that he is the window, right? Like Joe Burrow. Like Joe Burrow. Yeah, that's fair. But now we're blaming the defense?
0: Well, that's the part I don't understand. I mean, essentially, he ended the game with the ball in his hands, less than three minutes to go. They had the ball in the fringe or on the red zone, and you couldn't find a way to keep the drive going. You had to settle for a 40-yard field goal. That, that's on the quarterback. That mm-hmm. ain't on nobody else. That ain't on the defense.
3: Yeah, there were two incompletions. <laughs> there were two
0: incompletions on second down and on third down. And I know we want to jump through hoops to try to defend Josh Allen. And we want to say Deion Dawkins stepped on his foot and that's why the throw to Shakir was off. Or we want to say, oh, Dalton Kincaid may or may not have gotten the first down had he checked it down to him on third down. These are all of these hypotheticals, but the guy had an opportunity to win the damn game. As a matter of fact, the coach gave him the ball and said, Josh, fourth quarter, win us the game. Right, which and is he what, lost the game. And he <laughs> couldn't win the game. Right, yeah. Like he threw the ball more in the fourth quarter than any other quarter in that game.
2: You don't blame Daquan Jones, a defensive tackle, for that? <laughs> that's that's the point. I don't understand. I don't, I don't blame blame the understand. The I don't
0: understand and here's the other part Josh Allen getting paid over $40 million a year. Like, here's the other part. Like, like Show me the defensive player that's getting paid that kind of scratch. It's not happening. There's a reason why those guys get paid what they get paid. They have the ability to overcome other deficiencies on the team. Nobody has more influence on how the game is going to go than a quarterback. He's got the ball in his hands every single time he's on the field. Josh Allen had an opportunity at the end of that game to win it for his team, and he didn't do it. Why do we keep caping for this dude? Stop it. I agree. He's not at the same level as Pat Mahomes. I don't even think he's at the same level as Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson. He's just not. I agree.
2: Speaking of Mahomes, there is a chance he's had the best start of a career of any player in team sports history. Any sport. We'll get into that next on like on ESPN Radio. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any kind of cool for Patrick Mahomes let me just get something else on the resume here we are on Like on ESPN radio presented by Progressive Insurance hello Michelle Smallman Chris Canty Evan Cohen with you so we were discussing the idea of Mahomes' start to his career right and if he has had the best start to a career that we've seen in football history then we dive into the has he had the best start to a career team sports because Tigers <laughs> Serena Michael Phelps like ridiculous right yeah um has he had the best individual start to a career in any team sport in maybe in history in our lifetime? So I did some homework on this. Okay. It's absurd, guys. So if you look at the first seven years, Mahomes has been to three Super Bowls, one, two, six AFC title games, two MVPs, two Super Bowl MVPs, right? So, all right, who else do you think of? Brady. Seven, seven years, three Super Bowl appearances, three Super Bowl wins, four AFC title games, no MVPs. Two Super Bowl MVPs. So that one's close. All right? Mm -hmm. Manning's not close. No Super Bowl appearances in that time. LeBron James. Seven years. One finals appearance. No MVPs in his first seven years. Mm -hmm. Like, destroys LeBron. Wow. Okay? Let me go further. Michael Jordan. His first seven years. One final. One title. Two MVPs. One finals MVP. Destroys Michael Jordan's first seven years. All right, let's go baseball, just in recent memory. Derek Jeter, just for argument's sake. Seven years, four World Series titles, uh, four World Series, three World Series titles, no MVPs. All right, how about Mike Trout? People say he's the best baseball player they've ever seen. No doubt. Right? Seven years, no World Series, no titles, two MVPs, five times top two in the MVP, six times top five MVP. Patrick Mahomes had the best start to his career of any player in our lifetime in team sports history and maybe forever. Maybe ever. We are witnessing something that even though all of us realize the greatness we are witnessing, I don't actually think we understand the level of greatness until we put it in this level of perspective. Think about it. They may win a Super Bowl this year or get to a Super Bowl in what many have considered a gap year for him. Mm -hmm. They still may win it all. Think about that first. Basically, what he is is Derek Jeter and Mike Trout combined. He has the Mike Trout regular seasons and the Derek Jeter postseasons, and he's done it all by himself. I'm not saying his teammates haven't helped, but I'm saying on his resume, it is absurd what this guy has done in the first seven years of his career.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely filthy. The only person that I can think of that might come close in the first seven years might be Wayne Gretzky. I mean, when you look at the final career numbers, he's got more goals than the next closest person does points total. So maybe Gretzky, but I know a lot of people don't pay attention to hockey. I get that, but I'm just saying, like Wayne Gretzky might be I mean, the look only up. one yeah. that rivals that. But I don't know that Gretzky had the team success early on that Pat Mahomes has had. So that would be That's, the thing.
2: He's got he's got a little or a lot of everything.
0: That's what I'm saying. He's
2: got, oh, it, it's all about him. Well, he wins. It's all about the team. He wins. It's it's ridiculous. And people. And by the way, people want to compare Josh Allen to him. Really. After what? Like, you can't compare MJ and LeBron in the first seven
0: years yeah. to this guy. Yeah, yeah,
3: And given everything that you just said, I don't know why I ever doubted him. You know, I, I was looking at the team <laughs> around him, and I was like, even he can't overcome this. There's just vulnerabilities and cracks that exist that, that I thought, as the season went on, continued to present themselves more. And I thought, even despite his greatness, there are certain things that he can't do or that he can't overcome. And he's found a way yet again. To make it happen. And based on everything you just outlined, Evan, how is this not got... He's on the trajectory to be the greatest football player that we've ever seen. And sometimes when we're existing in it, as you said, we get so conditioned to greatness that we take it for granted. And I hope that we don't do that with Patrick Mahomes.
0: I don't think we are. I, I just think we didn't anticipate Pat Mahomes being able to do it because history tells us that no quarterback outside of Tom Brady has been able to sustain this level to go to six straight conference championship games. I mean, only Brady has been to more consecutively. He's been to eight. Like you just, but not in his first six years, (laughs) but not in in his first six years. I mean, that's the thing. Like we're, we're just anticipating that he's going to regress back to the mean because it's a salary cap sport and nobody can stay at the top that long. Just because you can't keep the same team around you for that period of time. But Pat Mahomes seemingly can overcome all of those things. You losing all of these coordinators, whether it's Matt Nagy, whether it's Doug Peterson, whether it's Eric Bieniemy, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You lose Tyreek Hill, the most explosive player in football, doesn't matter. Your defense is young, doesn't matter. Your receivers lead the league in drops, doesn't matter. <laughs> you missed on a first-round draft pick in Clyde Edwards-Alaire, doesn't matter. I mean, Kadarius Toney, you, bur- you burned a third-round pick on him, He's a bust. Doesn't matter. Sky yeah. Moore, Moore second-round pick. Doesn't matter. Like, all of these guys, all even, of these mistakes yeah. that the organization has made seemingly doesn't matter because Pat Mahomes is the ultimate deodorant.
2: I'm only bringing this up to add to the point not to get personal. His brother gets arrested. Doesn't matter. Like, other teams have this. We're going to talk about at some point the Cowboys distractions because of all the things around them that they have no family members getting involved. Yeah. Again, not trying to get personal, but it doesn't matter. He
3: did a reality show on Netflix that could expose a lot of people. Doesn't, doesn't matter.
2: matter. <laughs> He's the most immune. Aaron Rodgers talk immunization, immune, whatever. <laughs> this guy's the most immune athlete we've ever seen in our lives. Nothing impacts him. He's
3: like the equalizer. His his heart rate I, does not I, I get love elevated. Equalizer. Low. He I love j- the like nothing matter. And, and that's why when he went nuts in that game versus the Bills, and you know was yelling on the field, and and had that interaction with Josh Allen. We were so taken aback by it because we never see him get elevated or, or low like that. The Netflix series did a good job of taking us behind the scenes and letting us see him chirping and, and a little bit more of his personality and his attitude on the field, but nothing faces him. It's unreal.
0: But it feels like he's taking this run personal,
3: though. Big time. like, like Michael just, Jordan just, just
0: watching him break it down in, in the locker room in Buffalo after they got the win, and he was just saying, they wanted it, they got it and just so everybody knows it. we ain't done yet there's more work to do come back ready to work like you you can you can sense that this is that moment like Michael Jordan had in, in the last dance documentary we he said he took that personal it feels like this is the season that Pat Mahomes is taking personal because people are doubting him and things aren't overwhelmingly stacked in his favor like it's no longer the arrowhead invitational they got to go on the road for the conference championship game that's new for him First playoff game, people didn't know whether or not he could go on the road in Buffalo and get the dub. Did that, check that box. Like There are things that people are looking at with this team and saying, I don't know if Pat Mahomes can overcome those things. And it's seemingly energizing him and the rest of that locker room, which is dangerous to think about knowing how good this team has been in the past.
2: He hasn't even started the second arc of his career, which he will probably in the next few years of bringing new guys in there with him. And he still may win it all. We're Unsportsmanlike on ESPN
1: Radio. Thanks for listening to the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. You can listen to Unsportsmanlike live weekdays from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. You can also watch on ESPN2 and on ESPNU. Unsportsmanlike with Evan Canty and Michelle.